answering your tough financial questions for the past 26 years. It's Allworth's Money Matters with co-hosts Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McLean. Thanks for being part of our program today. Both myself and my co-host here, we're both financial advisors, certified financial planner, charter financial consultant. We spend our weekdays. All that basically means is that we are practicing financial advisors. We spend our weekdays working out of our yeah. home office on a Zoom. <laughs> With uh, shorts on, shorts and flip-flops on the bottom and a work shirt on top. Yes, and... Uh, I actually, my wife has been gone. She was. So we're financial, practicing financial advisors during the week, and we do we put together a little a program that we broadcast on the weekends so that we are your financial advisors on the air. Uh, my wife has been out of town for a couple of days helping one of my children move back to Los Angeles where he, 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 he thought he was going to go to college, uh, but it now looks like online. But I think he's happier with living away from us as are we. Um, but she asked me, like, what have you been doing for the last three days? Talking to her. And I'm, I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, well, where'd you go? I go, like, where am I? Sc- <laughs> I, I can't go. <laughs> uh, grocery uh, store, kind of. I, I, uh, I cleaned out the garage one night. I, uh, I, I worked in the garden, and I did uh, six uh, hours no, of Zoom a day. It's a strange. It's it is a, a strange, but I'll tell you. This, what's uh, even more strange is how the if, – if someone would have – Said at the beginning of the year, oh, here's what's going to happen in 2020. Here's the shutdowns that we're going to have in the economy. Here's the bankruptcies that we're going to have lined up. Companies that have been around forever, right? Here is the unemployment rate. Where do you think the stock, how do you think the stock market react? So we've, we had a decline of about 34% top to bottom early fast, on. Fast, really fast, fast. And then most of it recovered. And we've got some volatility and whatnot. But one would expect the market, I mean... So Scott, let's can we talk about what we do with our own portfolios just to give people an idea? Oh, I went to cash at the beginning of the year. <laughs> can we talk about joking how we measure our own portfolios as a company and uh, keep the allocation regardless of what the market's doing? Well, because I think that's instructive about not becoming emotionally involved in the markets and making sure that you actually focus on risk, risk. And return will take care of it. And it's funny, literally driving into, because we are doing this in a studio, we are apart from one another, but, uh, and uh, there was an ad I heard for, it was a new ad I'd heard for, uh, it was a, it was a national brokerage firm, this Wall Street kind of stock firm. And it was a guy talking about what the markets did yesterday, how they're opening today, the things that they're looking for beyond the Corona. And I thought to my, I literally thought to myself, what is someone supposed to do with this information about the short-term news? How do you act on it? So there's really a couple ways you can look at investing in your portfolio. One is trying to determine the tea leaves, see where the winds of change are coming from, monitor all that, and hope that you are one step ahead of the rest of the world and you could make changes to your portfolio based upon what you believe the future is going to be. And it might work sometimes. It might work sometimes. Sometimes. Studies have shown, and we just kind of broadly call that time in the market, and studies have shown that over time, that never that strategy does not work. Oftentimes because you're out of the market when it does well. Like think about the people who went to cash early on this year. And you're in the market when it's done I mean, poorly. You, you got to time it right all the time. It, both in and out. So that's one way to look at investing. Another way which is frankly a more common way for most, well, that's how pension funds are managed. It's how most uh, respectable financial advisory firms manage money. It's, it's really based upon let's allocate our dollars knowing that over a long period of time, we are going to earn more when we own factors of production, when we are owners of things, owners of companies, owners of real estate, even owning something that produces something. We know that the more we have in those dollars, in those assets, 
the better we're going to do long term. But we also know that two things. One is we might need our money before we have that time. Right. In so, which case, you can't ride out the markets if you need the money. And secondly, our emotions might be such that we can't with we can't stomach too much swings. So it's really about saying, all right, given those parameters, how much of a portfolio should we allocate to those things that are designed to do well over the long period of time? And what part of our portfolio should we have in much more conservative type areas? That's broadly called asset allocation. Or modern portfolio theory. Yes. And so if you looked, uh, this isn't television, but if you looked at a graph of a bond allocation 100% bond allocation to 100% stock allocation, you will find that somewhere between 60 and 65% in stock and the rest in bonds of cash will give you the highest rate of return for a degree of risk that isn't out of line. It's not crazy. You're going to get a higher rate of return if you're 100% stock, but the risk is significantly yeah, yeah. higher. And you better have a long time before you need those dollars. So when you look at a portfolio... What you want to do is you want to measure your portfolio against the asset allocation all the time. So most people can't do it on a practical basis all the time, but we do it on a weekly basis. We take the portfolio and we put it through a screen to make sure that we are close to our allocation. So through no fault of our own, no fault of our own, when you look at our overall portfolios, the portfolios became overweighted in stocks right before the crisis. And so we sold more of the stocks, and we bought more of the bonds. Through whose fault, Scott? It was just through – it's not, not out of brilliance either. It was just a, a discipline that was established ahead of time. That's right. Th this is what we're going to do regardless of what where the market is. What is our investment philosophy? What are the disciplines behind that? And sticking to them. Yes. Because if you have an investment philosophy or discipline and don't stick with it, you don't have an investment philosophy or Correct. discipline. It doesn't exist if you don't use it. And if you find yourself uncomfortable with your, like wondering what the heck are these guys even talking about? I wonder if I've got that. It's time to take a read of kind of a fresh look at things. So Because we have no idea where this market's going. So we sell the equities or the stocks in the portfolios to bring it down to what we considered a reasonable risk tolerance. And just how many weeks later we ended up. <laughs> it was the shortest period of time we did to rebalance because the stocks fell so quickly. They fell so quickly. We ended up selling bonds and buying stocks back. Through whose fault? No fault. I think we've done re three rebalances already. This in year. the shortest period of time we've ever in our almost 20... Not for every particular account because everything's different. For the broad, broad majority, particularly on the tax-deferred accounts. Yes. So the point being, you need to yourself develop a discipline and stick to it. I tell you, you know, it's interesting. This week, uh, one afternoon, I was meeting with a friend outside... We were distanced apart, right? Okay. Uh, but he was, and he was, he fancies himself on kind of being his own portfolio manager. And he was telling me, he was, he literally told me that he was on a, a walk or run that morning, listened to the news and something, he checked the stock and something was down or up or I forget exactly what it was. He stopped on his run to make a trade in his portfolio. Huh. And as he's telling me this, I'm looking. I'm. I, I have a lot of respect for the guy, so I'm. He's don't probably. Mean he's probably waiting for you to give him the accolades, right? I just. I said, oh, I'm a. Because yeah. I'm listening to myself, thinking, you can do all this stuff if you want. Study after study shows you're not going to have any better return. Matter of fact, you're going to have worse return. But if you feel good about it, do it. But I didn't. Uh, if it makes I you think you have more control, smiled and. Wait, what? Yeah. When you don't have that many friends, the ones you have, you got to treat Absolutely. really well. You know, it's been a long time before anyone talked to me on a personal note. <laughs> anyway, let's uh, take some calls here at Allworth's Money Matters to join our program. 833-99-WORTH will get you on the air. That's 833-99-WORTH. And we're starting off here with James. James, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, our um, pleasure. I... I had some questions because with a recent job change, my compensation has changed a little bit as well. Um, in a good hopefully, way. Okay. <laughs> so hopefully for the positive. Yeah, right. It's definitely for the positive. It's just now I am getting um, like sign on incentives and bonuses paid out in restricted stock units. So I had some questions about, how to invest those restricted stock units and also what um, percentage of your 
portfolio, you should have invested into company stock. Um, so let's let me like tackle that second one first because that's it's a little more broad for people. So, and we often get that. How much? What is too much in any one particular uh, company? And there's a couple ways to look at things. One is to say once if you've got more money than you need to maintain your lifestyle, then you might say, you know, I'm I'm comfortable with the company I work for. I'm going to be over allocated and and I'm going to let that company ride. As an example, let's say you worked for Apple the last uh, 20 years. If every time your portfolio, you, your Apple was more than 5% of your overall port net worth, you sold Apple, you would, your colleagues would call you a fool today. <laughs> Just reality, right? So, but... But let's say you worked for uh, MCR WorldCom or, or, or Entergy or, or Pacific Gas and Electric or, or well, well, there's a General Electric or... Yeah, so... It, so as a general rule, most advisors say you don't want more than 4 or 5% in any one particular company. But if, you, if your overall finances are in such a way that, that if, if you had a substantial decline in that one holding is not going to have a material impact on your standard of living, and if it's a company you work for and you feel good about that, I think it's okay to let that drift, but you need to understand their risk in doing so. And the younger you are, the more you can afford to take that That's risk. The closer you get to retirement. Most people as they approach retirement are more concerned about not going poor than they are about becoming wealthier. But if you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s, you might say, you know what, I've got a lot of time. I'm confident where I'm working. I'm going to let this thing uh, run for a bit. But so. to get 15, you probably shouldn't let it, on the aggressive side, you shouldn't let ever let it get more than 20% of the portfolio. Probably best to stay within 10% of your overall portfolio. So that's the answer to the okay. first question. But you might question. end up with a whole lot more if you got restricted stock because they're restricted. Yeah. Yeah, correct. And that's the way it will work um, annually after that is that my bonuses will be paid in restricted stock units. So there will be more stock coming. You can also, um, with the company I work for, take your four. There's actually an option within your 401k to actually put money into the company. I would not recommend well. that. Uh, because you've, okay, you've yeah. already got part of your compensations coming to you in stock that it's restricted. The company, they, they would love for you to have everything in the, in the company because then you're, you're highly aligned with, with what their objectives are. But uh, as an, I mean, you, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put more of my savings. These, these are the places that's providing your, your job, your paycheck, your health insurance, probably your life insurance, disability insurance. I mean, you, you don't really want all your life savings that one particular company as well. Okay. The restricted no, stock, how yeah. often are you allowed to sell that? Um, they're selling periods. I'm not too sure when those periods are, um, but there are like certain times of the year when you can sell those. And what, in, what can end up happening? They, can, they cut both ways, right? So you get these restricted stock, which means they're restricted based upon some – every company can set the rules differently, right? So they set their own rules on. These are restricted, and they say, hey, James – you're doing a great job. We're going to give you some more restricted stock. And you think, great. Then you work there. The restricted stock goes up in value. And you say, man, I've got a lot of cash set inside in this restricted stock. But it's restricted. And then they issue some more. And so as time goes on, you think, I can't even, I can't, I can't afford to leave here. because, <laughs> Which is one of the reasons they like the restricted stock. <laughs> I've got stock. so much restricted stock here. i got to keep mm -hmm. working here until the time I retire. I better keep working hard. i, I, I got to make sure this company succeeds. They call those golden handcuffs. <laughs> so they okay, cut yep, both so, ways. So well put. Yeah. Okay. No, that, that's okay. good. Um, you had one more question for us too, correct? You had restricted stock percentage in, yeah, and you had one so, more question for us. Yeah. My next question was, so historically, um, I really like target funds with my 401k portfolio just because I've tried to do some investing on my own and, and try to, um, you know, pick my own mutual funds and move money around there. And um I just felt like it was too much work. So I, I kind of like the idea of target funds. So historically, I've always put my 401k money in target funds and let it reallocate as I get closer to retirement. But now um, with these restricted stock units, when they vest, I'm just kind of curious, should I be using that same methodology and putting those restricted stock units into target funds? Or does it open up the opportunity for other investments I should consider? How, how old are you? Uh, 36. Okay. And how many kids do you have? I have two. 
And are you funding their 529 plans? Yes, I am. And, um, we also uh, – yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so you also what? Uh, we also have some uh, grandparents that have put money into their 529 wow, as better. well. <laughs> even better. Yeah, so yeah. I think with like, the U-Gift uh, option, okay. so yeah, they've done that. Okay. And, um, we're, we're in pretty good shape there. So and here, I, I assume you don't have any debt other than your mortgage. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, and you would look at possibly, and I, if you're giving money to charities, uh, any charities, I would look at using um, a charitable gift fund and using those restricted stock once they come into the money to actually fund them. Um, okay. Right? Here so that's one of the things I would look idea. at. Um, I think that you're too smart to use the target date fund. <laughs> I actually do. <laughs> you just don't. Okay. How much so do you have? How much what, money do you have? To, how, how much money do you have in your four hundred one k's? Right now, we, well, my wife she's within the um, she's in like a four hundred three b, so it's kind of hard to get those numbers. But uh, within my four hundred one k, I'm hovering right around seventy thousand. Okay, so here. You kind of went to two extremes. You had one that you were picking mutual funds and kind of tracking the funds, and you're like, I don't know if I know what I'm doing and probably hurt myself, so I'll be better off in a target date fund. That is correct. Nine times out of ten, yes, you'd be better in a target date fund. But you're 36. I would argue that at 36, you should be 100% stocks in your 401K. And you would buy what, Scott? You've got 25 years. At a minimum, you could just put it in a total stock market index and forget about it. That's right. That would be better than the target date fund. That's right. If you want to maybe perfect it, maybe have 80% in U.S. stocks that's split up between large cap, mid cap, and small cap, which a target date, I mean, a um, total market fund could do for you. And then maybe 20% allocated internationally. But since in the S&P 500, 60% of its earnings come international, you're going to get exposure globally anyway in the S&P 500. So I, I, I could... I, I, you should not have any bonds in your portfolio, and the target date fund is going to have bonds in the portfolio. It's going to have stuff in the portfolio that you wouldn't put in it yourself if you did the research. The reason the mutual fund company complexes like the target date fund. They charge more fees. They charge more fees, and then they take these underperforming asset class mutual funds, oftentimes actively managed, and they mix it in there. So it's like, it's like me baking cookies for my kids and then putting you know whole grains, hiding stuff in there that – <laughs> right. Not that I bake cookies for my kids, but that's a, an analogy. Should have been part of my pancake conversation this morning, but that's another story. Right. So you don't need any of that. So buy the total market, or I agree with Scott, buy 80% total market and then put 20% international, put it 100% stocks. Don't worry about it. Well, I mean, the downside okay. of target date funds at your age is it's, I think you could be more aggressive than what the target date fund has. The challenge is you get um, further along and get closer to retirement. Uh, there's no way to break those things apart. I mean, you, you don't have any control of those allocations. And what, particularly at retirement time, you want to take a distribution, you got to take a distribution out of the entire portfolio. You can't pick and choose. And you're too smart for targeting funds. And your wife's portfolio as well. Uh, she, you should treat it the same way. So appreciate the call. Congratulations yeah. on the uh, job, new job with the restricted stocks. You start getting restricted stocks at the company. You, you're doing. It's usually they're usually reserved for higher up um, people. I mean, you know, it's funny because we've been doing this a long time. The incentive stock options were very popular in the '90s, right? Yes, <clears throat> and um, they were all the rage. <laughs> I don't know about that. I do remember seeing a car that I'd see at the, in the, there was a restaurant I'd go to. I mean, he must have had a, an office in that same complex. And he had a thing around his license plate rim that said, happiness is an IPO. And it was this fancy convertible. Uh -huh. And I always thought, what a pompous. <laughs> I just remember thinking, like, what? what? Reminds me, there's like, there's like a guy at the gym. It's like, it's like a Cadillac Escalade with a, his license plate says, why work? Oh, come and on. And I thought, really? Huh? I wouldn't invite you over to dinner. <laughs> right? No, I mean, like, what? Well, what maybe he what weird value. Maybe system. if he if you did invite him, he wouldn't come. So Probably not. Think about not after that. hearing this. <laughs> so. Why work? And it, well, and there's it, lots of reasons to work other than the monetary. Exactly. Lots and of lots course. of reasons. Why work? What kind of? Anyway, why did I get it off topic on that? What was even in the nineties? Where the oh, uh, the incentive stock options, ISOs, and all what the we're rage. seeing more <laughs> all the range. <laughs>
<laughs> what we're seeing more now of is uh, these restricted stocks. And um, I think they can be uh, – I mean, if you work for a company and you get them, fantastic. Uh, but they're, they're not all that common, really. Uh, no. But. but the ISOs kind of defeated the purpose – uh, for many of them, because uh, if the stock fell too much, then the company would actually reprice just them reprice all. them yeah. all. Works for everybody except for the, sh- the, the other shareholders. shareholders. <laughs> <laughs> the other shareholders <laughs> all get diluted. <laughs> all right. Uh, 833-99-WORTH is the number to be part of our program. We're talking with Jonathan. Jonathan, you're with Scott Hansen and Pat McLean of Allworth Money Matters. Hi. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for taking my call. Our pleasure. I've been listening to you guys since... Basically, I can remember listening to the radio, um, so I'm not your oldest uh, caller. Um, I'm a beekeeper, and I just got married at the end of last year. And Congratulations. I'm trying to figure out, thank you. Thank you. I'm trying to figure out how to spread my income with my wife, mainly for um, thinking along lines of Social Security disability and or widow, widower benefit and um my own mother has been disabled most of my life, and so I'm just trying to do a little forward thinking got it. along this line um, because my wife's got some potential underlying health uh, issues, and then the job we're working, she's working with me, and it's not really a, a nine-to-five pencil pushing job. There's a lot of a lot of manual labor. What? So. And when you say beekeeper, there are obviously, thank you, by the way. I mean, what's happening in the bee population uh, is we should all worry about it, um, right, with the mites. Because we don't have enough to worry about right now. Well, it's, it, it has a long-term lasting implication on our food supply, thank how you, the Pat, bees yeah, are doing okay. in the, in the bee you. mite. But Jonathan knows all this. Jonathan. It, how, how old are you really quick? I'm 27 and my wife is 25. So and how big of an operation? A while. How big of an operation do you have? Small, small business. We've got one new employee, um, and then it's my father and a couple family members go in and out depending on school situation and whatnot. What so would the net income small. for you and your wife be uh, in the year 20? What was the net income in the year 2019 for you and your wife? 2019. Yeah, what did you pay taxes on? About 85. Be, but most of that is going back into the or went back into the business this year, so we're living on a little less than twenty five to oh okay there. and and you're the only one that is paying payroll taxes. Your wife isn't. That's what I assume is happening. Correct. Um, that's what I did when I filed, but that's why I'm trying to figure. You out want to split it? To... You want to split okay. it? Yes, <clears throat> and here's why. If the, the way Social Security benefits work, they're highly they, – for the first, I think it's what, about $10,000 a year of income. It replaces like 85% of that wage. And as the income goes up, the social, you pay the same amount in Social Security taxes, but it replaces less and less of the wage. So if your income was 120000 a year, I'd say you should probably have it all on you. But given where it's at now, I would split it down, down the middle so that your wife – is have half that income and you have half that income. And it won't cost you any more. What it does is it keeps the premium the same, but essentially almost doubles the benefit that either one of you could receive if you were disabled. But okay. that's that would take care of a disability. But as far as kind of looking at longer term, looking at your old age and stuff, your your best bet for security is to save money. Figure out how to make more profit from the business. I know that might sound hard, but it's really about um, about being as profitable as you can and saving money on a consistent basis. And it's never easy. I understand that, and particularly when things are tight. But there's going to come a time when you could be disabled. There's going to be a time when you may be too old to work, and it's going to be important that you've got some money set aside. So, And especially um, uh, if... If you're relying on Social Security after the break, we're going to talk about how because of the pandemic that the year that they were projecting the Social Security trust fund would go broke has been moved up significantly. What are you talking about? Social Security trust fund going broke. Okay. All right, Scott. It's the government. They just print more money. Okay. So let's talk about it after the break about what's happening right now and why the acceleration of that 
going broke has moved up significantly um, and why you should actually worry about it. I did read an article in the Atlantic in the last couple of days where someone was making a, a uh, they said we, we should, they were, they were advocating that we should spend another 10, tr- the government should spend $10 trillion at a variety of different places in the next few years. And it's not a problem because with interest rates, low interest rates, we shouldn't be worried about government spending at all. And they made this argument for this. And I thought, I hope not, <laughs> I hope <laughs> there's not a lot of people reading that and believing that that's actually going to work long term. I would hope. Because the dollars eventually... They will need to be repaid. By some generation. As my son has been... Just got approved for unemployment because it's been taking him several weeks to get it. And he said something about... He feels a little funny about getting it, but it's free money. I said, no, no, it's not free money, son. That will be repaid. And he (laughs) says, oh, I'm clearly aware of that, Dad. That's a good point. It will be repaid. That's, well, they... Probably by your generation. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, we're taking a quick break. You're listening to All Worth's Money Matters with Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. We'll be right back. Can't get enough of All Worth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to All Worth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen. Pat McClain. All right, Pat, you said you were going to uh, want to talk about the Social Security issue. I did. So uh, this is a, came out of an article uh, I read actually this week called Social Security's Funding Crisis Has Ar- Arrived. So the trustees, Social Security Trust Fund, stated in April that the net inflows to the trust funds will turn negative next year. Negative next year. It wasn't projected to be negative for a number of years. But because of what has happened in the economy. uh, And by the way, it isn't unusual to see disability benefits on Social Security spike up in a a recession. It's not unusual at all. Because people that can't find jobs as their unemployment oftentimes will run up. They will actually then try to apply for Social Security disability if they, in fact, do have a form of disability. So what's interesting about this is that the payroll taxes will only cover 79% of the promised retiree benefits going forward. This is a massive number. So you and I have been talking on this show for years. Of the risk of reduction in Social Security. So when you're looking at do I delay till age 70 or when should I start – don't ignore the fact that the benefits could change in the future. That's right. And the higher your income in retirement, the more likely that your benefits yes. will be reduced. So there's two ways to attack the problem. One is to increase the Leave Social the country Security. and go to Monaco. <laughs> One is to increase the, the withholdings of people's paycheck to pay into uh, Social Security. And that they expect in order to actually get to break even over a number of years, it would be a 3.1% increase. The other is to actually start cutting benefits. And they're not going to cut... Three, a 3 point percentage point, percentage point, not 3% percentage point increase in the payroll tax. So that's right. From 12.4% to 15.5%. That's right. That's so that's right. about a... That's more of a 25%. That's right. Not So when I said 3%, they would add 3%. It wouldn't be just It'd be 3%. A 20, you'd have a 25% increase in your Social Security pay, tax that you pay. So what happens is just based on the population, 65 million Americans right now are receiving some form of Social Security benefit. That's 20% of the U.S. population. That is That's a amazing. massive number. That is amazing. And you think... One out of five people are on Social Security How benefits. is that? Well, it includes non-working spouses, widows, uh, and widowers, children of um, widows or widowers, um, Social Security disability. You're also, you're also seeing because you, you see sometimes, well, it's usually men will have a child later in life, like a Donald Trump. Um yeah. I'm sure he gets Social Security, oh. and he gets Social Security for his little little Donald Jr. What? Not Donald Jr. Whatever the little kid is. Baron. Baron. Okay. Baron. Baron. He gets money. <laughs> hey, we're not going to go there. Um, so for Baron, in fact, I have had uh, clients that uh, adopt their grandchildren because they were caring for them in order to get Social That's Security right. bills uh, absolutely. for the, uh, for the grandchildren. Well. So what happens is it is the, the day of reckoning is upon us. It is, it is upon us. 
I would expect in the next couple of years that you're going to see a reduction in Social Security benefits, and it won't be for those people that actually need it to live. It will be, it will be means-tested, much like it's been means-tested for years. How's it been means-tested? I get paid it. Well, they tax you on it. The higher your income, the higher the tax on your Social Security benefit. Damn. It wasn't that way 25 years ago. So watch it. It's in the pipeline. And, by the way, there's uh, age 60, there's kind of a weird way that your you know, the, your benefits are calculated. And age when you're age 60, it has a uh, an impact on that. And um, there is a somewhat lengthy article on our website that goes into detail on that, why age 60 is key for your Social Security benefit. And um, so if you are right around age 60, before you're receiving your benefits and you're trying to learn more, we'd encourage you to go to allworthfinancial.com. And what this basically means is that they it has to do with the average wage in America. Um, at the year you turn 60 is kind of where they determine your Social Security benefits going forward, even though you're not eligible to receive until you're 62. Although if you were a widow or widower, you'd be eligible 60. at 60. That's probably why they use the number. But there's not much you can do about it. You can't change it, but you need to be aware of it because it may change the estimates of what you thought you were going to receive in Social Security benefits. Yeah. Again, it's uh, having to do with age 60 and Social Security on our website, allworthfinancial.com. Let's uh, go back to phones here. Uh, we are going to go to Michigan, talk with Neil. Neil, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hi, guys. Thanks Hi, Neil. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, our pleasure. Yep. Uh, found your podcast uh, a couple of years ago and been an avid listener ever since. We appreciate so. it. Thank you. So I have a, I have a question for you. I um, contribute to my 401k. I do not max it out. Um, I have about five grand. Um, additional that I could um, contribute each year. But I was curious if um, starting a Roth for uh, just a Roth IRA would be of any value instead of increasing my contributions to the 401k. How old are you, Neil? I'm uh, 33. Oh. And what's your, uh, are you married or single? I am married. What's your annual family income? Uh, about 96000 and how many children? Uh, just just one. So I might argue that not only I might argue that some of your four hundred one k should go into a Roth and not a pre tax four hundred one k or all. Yeah, he's got five thousand dollars a room on his. But not only that, because because the way the taxes work, you are you are in a twelve percent federal tax bracket that it's really above a hundred thousand when you factor in your. Um, either itemized or standard deductions before it jumps to a 22% tax bracket. So right now you're actually in a, I think a very low tax bracket. I don't know what the tax situation is like in Michigan, but uh, even still given where tax rates are today, if I were in your situation, Neil, I would put as much money as I could into the Roth 401k. Does your 401k have a Roth option? I would have to look. I do not think it. I don't think it does. Is so. it a fairly decent sized company you work for? Yes. They yep, probably uh, do. Actually, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. They probably do then. I mean, it's okay. relatively new in the last decade or so. The Roth but 401k options. Most companies, most companies have adopted it because it's no. It doesn't mean anything. To, it doesn't hurt or help them, and it's easy to do. The technology is, exists. So. Our recommendation was increase your contribution by five thousand. But well, if you've got five thousand of additional after-tax dollars, if you change your contributions today from the pre-tax to a Roth, your net your tax your 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 paycheck is going to go down because you now have some taxes. So you're not going to be able to. You might have an additional two grand or three grand you can save. It's going to go down by about twenty percent. Okay. Your pay no, probably less than okay. that. Depending upon the state tax in Michigan, because he's twelve, he's his effective rate is less federal. Oh, got effective it, got rate it, got it. Less he's effective. 12%. So uh, that's if you can afford to put five thousand dollars more, I would direct four thousand, three thousand dollars more, and I'd have a hundred percent of it go into the Roth four hundred one k, and it's easy, and you're achieving the same objective, and you're not messing with the Roth IRA. Okay. It's just easy. Perfect. You could do it tomorrow. You don't have to do any special paperwork. You just go online, increase the contribution, make it a Roth, and you'll notice a little bit. If you increase it by 3000 I mean, he could, but he could say, he could actually set up a Roth on the outside, Roth IRA, 
to have some more flexibility. If he needed the money for college costs or something that he could have access to those dollars because it's a Roth Roth you, a Roth IRA you can take out your contributions before age 59 and a half without any taxes or out any penalties. Well then why wouldn't he do a Roth for both he and his wife and lower his uh, contribution into his If you are highly disciplined with your finances, which most of us aren't, right? And 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 don't mind the kind of the bookkeeping part of it all and don't mind the and maybe find a little excitement in having all these little things because there's some people like that. If that's the case, then I would agree with Pat. I would do a, a Roth IRA for myself, a Roth IRA for my spouse, and then, because you can do a spousal still at your income level, then I would do whatever I could afford to do in the 401k as long as I didn't forego any match. So you want to make sure you get the full match on it. Because then you have more flexibility. Are you with us, what we just talked about there, Neil? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and how much can I put into the Roth if I went uh, that what is it, route? Fifty five hundred. I think it's six. Fifty five, six thousand, something like that. Yeah. This year. Every year it changes. And I don't. No, that would be for myself, and then another six thousand for my wife. Yeah, Scott's looking that's it up. It's either fifty five hundred or six thousand. I don't remember which one it is. Yeah, and it, you can put it in for because um, even though she, does she work outside the home? Actually, uh, she is a stay at home mother. Okay. Um, so um, you can do a spousal for her. You can do it's six thousand uh, dollars under age fifty for yourself. Six thousand dollars for her. So twelve thousand dollars can go into the. I, 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 if I were in your situation, I would do. I would first of all make sure I, I got whatever company match was there. So that's number one. And I'd use the Roth yep. option on that. Then okay. I would do a Roth IRA for myself and for my spouse. If I could afford more, then I would go back and increase my four hundred one k. And what would you invest that Roth IRA in, Scott? I'd probably just pick some stocks. <laughs> there I'd we go. go and or maybe some. I'd go to the. I'd go to a trading one of those trading schools and figure out how I can trade, and then hopefully it can use me in a late night commercial, tell me how I quit my job because I'm making so much money trading stocks. So simple. Five minutes a day. Or working from home. Or you could just buy the total market. I would buy the total, total market. market. The just total the market. total market. Make it easy. Doesn't okay. have to be complicated. Neil, you do this. You're young. This kind of planning. You're going to be in great financial shape in retirement. Right. Perfect. Well, wealth is wealth is comprised of consistency and discipline. You've got to be consistent saver. You have to be disciplined in your investment approach. Yeah, and you and when you say wealth, Pat, you're not meaning so you can be wealthy and, and live an extravagant lifestyle. You're just saying so you can have some financial stability and financial security in your life and have a retirement that uh, is not. You're not going to have to change your standard of living when you're seventy, Scott. I had this conversation with a friend. Thank you very much, uh, by the way, Neil. Um, and thanks for calling the show. And thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, had a conversation with a friend of mine last week about relative affluence. Because people in America that are poor, even our poorest. Uh, oh, come on, yeah. <laughs> are, <laughs> and are, wealthy people typically don't feel that way. I'm not that way. That guy's wealthy. That's not right. Me. right. It's, everything is relative. Yeah, I know. Unless you can't afford to have food for your family. In which case... It's terrible. Not good. Okay, let's continue on with calls. Let's go in Northern California and talk with Larry. Larry, you're with All Worth's Money Matters. Hi, guys. Hi, Larry. Um, I just got laid off in uh, with the coronavirus hey. uh, last month. Sorry. Um, luckily, my wife is still working. Um, I'm 60. She's 60. We have about two and a half million in 401ks, um, and I'll start collecting a pension uh, this month. Uh, for eh, twenty one hundred a month. And have you already made your election on uh, how that pension is going to come? A hundred percent to you, or are you taking a reduction to provide for your I spouse? I just got the letter uh, yesterday. Okay. And I think we're going to take it a hundred percent to me, uh, just to get the maximum out of it. Um. um well, he's got. Can I uh, continue on their financial? He's got two and a half million, and so okay. continue on. Yeah, and uh, so my wife feels comfortable that it, even if it were to be gone, if we took it a, if we took a reduction down, where we'd get like eighteen eighteen hundred a month, and she'd get eighteen hundred a month if I passed away first. Okay. And it it would get stepped if she passed away, then it would get stepped back up to twenty one for me. Okay. Anyway, um, so my question is, should we? With expenses expected to be about eight thousand a month, uh, houses paid off. Should we take our uh, Social Security at sixty-two, at FRA, or at seventy? 
Huh. So I'm going to disagree with Scott on taking that. Um, disagree with me. Yeah. On you said he should take you when he said he's going to take a full life only pension. You said you would. I wanted to hear the rest of the situation. Okay. So you agree or disagree? hasn't either way yet. I, yes, thank you, Larry. God, <laughs> hey, Larry, really? let, me argue, me the bus let me argue with the guy, will you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but your wife's still working? She is. And are you going to have to take any money from your 401k this year while she's still working? No. Do you have okay. any money outside the 401k? Um, We have maybe, maybe 60000 70000 Home's paid off. And how's uh, normal life expectancies for both you and your spouse? Um, how much longer do you think your wife will keep working? <laughs> um, that's, that's a question for her. Okay. Um, <laughs> we were both planning at the end of next year. Uh, yeah. End of next year when we're both 62, uh, to go ahead and, and pull the plug if we could. All right. So here's, here's the social security, um, thing that, 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 that I worry about, which is legislative risk in this due to your net worth. Yeah, that's right. exactly what I was thinking. Um, which is, we don't know what the rules are, and you're going to have to live on something. Well, you could have one ticket early and one defer. Yes, but we've got two years to worry about it. Yeah, we have two years to worry about it. So, so I would not make. I wouldn't worry about it making a decision for that until you are getting close to sixty-two. And the and and, and, and it's only because of the economic environment. Who knows what's going to happen. And, and legislative risk says that uh, there will be change. We expect that there'll be changes in Social Security. How they measure those, we don't well, know. We know this, that the Social Security is now eating into the reserves it has. And it was scheduled to be bust by 2034. Now I've read some new projections based upon what's happening. Uh, it's likely to be bust in 2029. And the way it's it's structured now, if once it's... In in the red, it would be an across the board cut of about twenty one percent. I can't imagine uh, the entire Congress allowing a twenty one percent across the board cut for little uh, widows that are having six hundred and twenty dollars a month Social Security versus Our, someone that's got two point five million dollars in a four hundred one k and a home that's paid for. Social Security's already needs base the way it's designed. Right. Your, your benefits are based upon your need, not, not how much you, you paid in. That's right. Kind of on what you paid in, but highly skewed based upon need. Does that make sense, Larry? Yes. Need. Well, no, it doesn't make sense it, because I've paid into it. Okay. For well, I'm, I'm, not, yeah, oh, okay. I'm not talking right or wrong. I'm just talking. <laughs> about uh, uh, I guess. <laughs> does our argument actually uh, hold any water? No, with probably. You, uh, can you follow what we're stating? The fact, <laughs> but whether me. it makes sense or not, I agree with you. Um, so. Thinking that there's going to be some sort of means testing, probably for someone um, in my, I'm going to say lucky position. Well, it wasn't luck, um, but saved. we'll go with that. Um, would would you then lean towards taking it as soon as possible yes. Yes. in order to lock in a rate? Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. 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 So, the, and frankly, in your situation, you know what I kind of like about your situation is, I mean, we'll, you don't need to make that decision until you're there, but with the home paid off, Couple grand a month in pension. You throw both your social securities on there, and it's like you've got pretty dang close to what your monthly needs going to be. Yeah, with a little bit coming out of your four hundred one k. Yeah, if that it can it enables you to be a little more aggressive in your four hundred one k than if you were more dependent upon it. Well, I'm eighty twenty now, so well, well, I don't, that's I don't pretty, pretty more aggressive well, than that. That's, yeah. a, that's yeah. a pretty that's pretty that's aggressive. aggressive uh, yeah, which, which aggressive. might be one of the reasons your portfolio is worth two point five million dollars is because you've probably been aggressive for some time. That's um, what I'm. Thinking, yes. Yeah. So I I I, I would lean. I would lean towards taking it early. I would lean towards take, because of the legislative we, risk, and and we could do the math that tells you you should defer it. Uh, but you right. know. Yeah. But, but I got, that would be a, my concern. There's a, an industry publication I, I read, and there's a, um, a woman on there. She's kind of devoted her career to be a Social Security expert. And so she's written books on it, and she's a certified financial planner. And all she does is, 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 a, is a journalist. And uh, she has never wanted to acknowledge this legislative risk. And I've, I've written about it, and she has disagreed with me on it. And for the first time a few weeks ago, I saw in one of her columns something that addressed – 
the fact that the trust fund's even more in danger now, and there there could be some reductions, and why it might want to consider. I'm thinking, look, it, any sort of financial income stream you're looking at, you want to look at what's the risk of it. Not if you're going to go buy a bond, thirty years, a municipality, what's the chance it can't? It's not. Is there any risk whatsoever? And to come out and say that there's zero risk that Congress won't change the rules to the game in the next over Well, they the already have. Life. I know. But it, it, so, Larry, it, if you had retired 30 years ago, none of your Social Security benefit would have been taxable. Then they started taxing 50% of it, what they call provisional income. And then it- uh, 85%. And then now, now they tax 85%. The next step is to tax all of it. The next step is, and that's all needs-based. So the government gives with one hand and says, oh, your income's too high. They take it away from the other. So this- this theory has precedent uh, before it that if I was a betting man, uh, if anyone's income or net worth is over a certain level five years from now, they won't be receiving Social Security or, benefits. Or a reduction of benefits. Or as much as someone that has an income of $10,000 and no net worth. It'd be pretty easy to say Bill Gates doesn't get Social Security because he doesn't need it. Or Larry. Cause, or Larry. Because Larry, as Larry said it, he was lucky. Larry. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it was all luck, my friend. It's privilege. And I don't think it was all privilege, my <laughs> friend. I think there's might... all kinds of political arguments that can be made against you, Larry. So. I, I think it was because <laughs> yeah. you probably worked hard and saved. Yeah. So. Well, exactly, and so. It and we're like blessed we get... with a good brain and all those other things. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. Good. the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, okay. uh, I wouldn't spend too much time on it, but uh, I would plan on taking it as early as possibly can. And you might actually see that legislation that allows people to start taking it earlier if they've lost their job. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Well, that'll be good for the, that'll help. There is no Scott. There is no one paying any attention to the cost of anything. Zero. I mean, they've already Just deferred. You don't have to pay your taxes. Until give it away. July 15th. Give it away. Give it away. And um, yeah, there's our, we've already got almost three, three trillion, two and a half trillion dollars. And the new seven to eight by the time we're done. So appreciate the call. Yeah, thanks, Larry. And let's uh, let's go to Sacramento talk with David. David, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Thank you, uh, Scott and Pat. Long time listener, first time caller. Oh, good. Thank you. I'm 67, recently retired, happily married, <laughs> and I've put most of my retirement funds into Vanguard Index with about a 50-50 split between equities and bonds. And I've had several people approach me about putting some of my retirement funds into fixed annuities as a way of diversification. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to get your opinion on that. Did they approach you at the bank? No. Well, um, would, would you annuitize them immediately or would you? Yeah, what's the benefit to you? Yes. Why do they, these people tell you you need an annuity? Diversification. Okay. So what's inside the annuity? What's inside a fixed annuity? The same stuff well, you own. Is, <laughs> it's the same stuff you own. My limited understanding is like an insurance policy. It pays off a certain amount. Um, it, my wife totally against it okay. because of bad it, press and it, well, things it, like that. So, well, Here, so, so there's, a, there's a difference. There's fixed annuities, and then there's fixed immediate annuities, and then there's index annuities, and then there's variable annuities. There's a bunch of different types of annuities. But we're going to talk about fixed annuities and immediate annuities right now. So if they're talking about a fixed annuity, all they're doing is talking about something that has a fixed interest rate for sometimes a period of time, sometimes not a period of time. And what they're doing is you take your $100,000, you give it to this insurance company. And that insurance company promises you a rate of return that is fixed in nature for a period of time. What does the insurance company do with that money? They don't keep it themselves. They actually go back and they invest in real bonds, estate, primarily mortgages, mortgages, primarily bonds. Most, mostly fixed income. Mostly fixed income, which is exactly what 50% of your portfolio is now. Why do people buy the fixed annuities? Well, sometimes they buy them because they might have a little bit of guarantees on them in terms of we promise that the interest rate will never go below this. They but might feel better than bonds because they don't fluctuate in value. They don't fluctuate in value. So you're paying someone to kind of keep you in the dark so that the bonds don't fluctuate in value. Yes. Assuming that you have a well-diversified bond portfolio, there's no reason for a fixed annuity. 
Now, an immediate annuity is something completely different. An immediate annuity is you buying a pension that will pay out for a fixed period of time or until your dying day or your spouse's dying day. Same thing happens there. What's the insurance company do with that money? They take and they buy bonds. That's what they do. They buy bonds um, and they will pay that out to you for the rest of your life. Buying an immediate annuity in this environment means you're locking in a low, low interest rate for the rest of your life. You probably have no need for either. I can't imagine why you would. And are you spending any of this money that's at Vanguard? No. Okay. No, you have no, even more so now. Yeah, you have no need for any of this. Any of it. And I think Jack Bogle's portfolio was very similar to this when he passed away. So, yeah. 50%. <laughs> you're, and you're fine. You're fine. I mean, you're absolutely fine. Um, yeah. How do they approach Jack you though? Bogle, when you say the founder when, of Vanguard, where do you where do you hang out that the in, in fixed annuity people get to approach you? Golf club. Oh, got, ah, okay. got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. That's, that's why, why I don't. They're that's, why, out. that's why I don't golf. Because <laughs> the annuity sales. The annuity salespeople. No, no. You. No, you, I appreciate your. You have no your advice and straightforward approach, and yeah, I, just yeah, I would buy reassurance. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I no, wouldn't. No. Buy. I wouldn't. And buy. and. There are, the annuity products are so missold, and there's so many garbage products out there that I think the industry would be, the world would be better off if they didn't exist. However, there are some circumstances when they could make some sense. Sometimes an immediate annuity for someone that really wants that guaranteed monthly income, and uh, they're willing to give up control of their principal for that, and that's like buying a pension. There are times when that make that makes sense. Uh, there are times when. Uh, some of the the guarantees and some variable annuities years ago when they were they, they were, made sense they were cheaper the insurance companies didn't price them quite correctly the, they the, were, made sense but. the problem with annuities overall is that they're very very complicated products and the average consumer cannot tell the difference between nor good, can the average agent who sells the, them they, yes can't tell the difference between good or bad um, right even us when people bring in annuity products that they've purchased from someone else. We have to actually get a hold of the contracts themselves, and uh, we, we pour over them to tell the clients what their options are. How do they get rid of them? It's not, it's not that simple. So, Yeah, I wouldn't bother. Enjoy the golf, though. I appreciate your advice. Thank you. Well, that is all the time we have for this week. It's all, as, a, as always, it's great having you join us. We would not have a program if it wasn't without you. So thank you, our listeners. Uh, we'll be back again next week at the same time. This has been Allworth Financial's Money Matters. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.